Let's pray, and then we'll hop into this passage. Lord, thanks again for this morning. Thank you for your great love for us and the joy that we find in you. Thank you that you meet us in uh, the glory of life and also in the difficulties of life. And I pray, Jesus, that as we uh, look at this text this morning, that you would open our hearts uh, to hear and to understand, but also to live it out. And we pray that you would minister to our hearts and our lives today. In your name, amen. Amen. So we're starting a new series, Book of Daniel, fairly popular uh, Old Testament minor prophet book. Actually, I think it's most would call it a major prophet probably. It's actually split half and half. So the first large chunk of Daniel is narrative story about Daniel and his friends in Babylon. And then the last chunk of the book is Daniel's visions and, and prophetic uh, pictures about what was going to happen in the future. The book takes place uh, just as Babylon has besieged Judah. They've plundered the city. Uh, they've gone into the temple. And they've taken uh, not just some of the ornaments and the fixtures that would have been sacred and part of the treasury and taking them back to Babylon. They've also taken people. And we read that they've taken some from King David's house who were either royal, royal, you know, part of that family, or at least were uh, nobles of the kingdom and brought them back to Babylon as well. And among them are four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as you probably know them better, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the book is all about how these four seek to keep faith in God while living under a foreign ruler. What does it mean to follow God in a country that does not follow God? What does it mean to have a faith in God and to seek to live that faith, not just privately, but publicly, in a world that has nothing to do with that God? How do you do it? And the whole book is about them learning to live under their conquerors. And so chapters 1 to 6 are stories about Daniel and his friends in Babylon. And there's a neat structure that we'll look at as we walk through about how they kind of pair together. And then, like I said, 7 to 12 are Daniel's visions about the future. And there's lots of discussion and debate about how to interpret those. And we will uh, solve every interpretive issue that's ever been regarding Daniel in this series. Can you I'm, total, I'm joking, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, and uh, it'll be all right. It's, uh, it's really quite interesting. We're going to look at the first chapter today. And I just want to draw your attention to some key points and then explore some of the implications for us. Uh, again, the first thing to note is Jerusalem's been attacked, and that would have just been seen as a devastating loss, just an absolute devastating loss, that the capital has fallen, that the walls have been breached, that the enemies come in, that the vessels have been taken and offered to Babylon's gods, and then the royal youths from the city have been taken and brought into captivity in a foreign nation. And for Israel at this time, it would have felt like God had abandoned them. It would have felt like maybe Babylon's God was greater than our gods. Maybe, maybe Yahweh can't actually hold his own against Babylon's gods. Why would he allow Babylon 
to overrun us. What's really going on here? Whose way of life is actually true? And the short answer for the reason for Babylon's victory is actually really simple. It's just Israel's sin. It's Israel's sin. They weren't actually following God. They had given up on God and forsaken him, and they were no longer following him in really any capacity at all. They'd given themselves over to false idols, and this was the result of them perpetuating in sinfulness against God. Moses had actually warned the people when they went into the promised land back in Deuteronomy 28 that if the people followed God, if they chose to walk in his ways, there would be blessing and life and abundance. But if they chose instead to follow the foreign gods of the nations around them, if they had decided to uh, ignore Yahweh and their covenant relationship with him, they had entered into a covenant like a marriage with God. So if they abandoned that marriage, in a sense, and were committing adultery with these other gods and pursuing a way of life that was far from what God wanted for them, there was going to be consequences. If you turn your back on the author of life, what are you going to get instead? You're going to get death. You're going to get things that aren't helpful for you, that aren't healthy for you. And so when the people started to turn away from God, God started to send prophets to call them back to himself. And time and time again, he had done this. And time and time again, they had ignored the prophets and often killed the prophets. And so finally, after years of warnings, God has now brought his judgment, his justice, his proper justice against sin upon Israel, the same that Moses had spoken of. And so they're in exile to Babylon, not because God has failed them, but because God is actually acting in his justice and his righteousness to call them to account because he loves them. It would be like me disciplining one of my kids, not because I just want to punish them because I'm angry, but because I love them and I need them to turn away from what they're doing because I actually do know better than them. And sometimes we tend to think, well, I know better than God. But we're often like kids. And sometimes we think we know and we're so sure of it. And yet God says, no, you, you just need to turn your attention over here. And so God does this because he loves them. Second Chronicles 36 uh, gives a little snapshot, actually, of what's happening right now. Puts it this way. It says, all, and listen to the, how down how down the slope we are for Israel at this point. All of the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful. So this isn't like Israel just messed up a little bit. No, it's real bad. It's real bad. All of the officers of the priests are unfaithful to God. Following all of the abominations of the nations. Now we don't need to get into what sort of abominations occurred but probably the worst was child sacrifice. So if they're following all the abominations of the nations, we're real downhill at this point, right? They polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. So God's after their hearts, even as they're far from him. And what was their response? They kept mocking the messengers of God and despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people 
until there was no remedy, it says. And the king of the Chaldeans took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. and They became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. And all of this to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah said, look, this is going to happen if you guys don't straighten out your ways. Until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Isn't it interesting? As our relationship with God goes south, especially here in Israel's case, their relationship with the land goes poorly. And here God sends them into exile, yes, to deal with their sin, but because the land deserves its Sabbaths. Did you catch that? God seems to care about his creation quite a bit, so much so that part of sending his people into exile is so the creation can be properly restored while they're away. Isn't that interesting? That our relationship with God and our relationship with his creation are, are intertwined. So God's allowed this. It's a, it's a direct result of their wickedness. Now look at verse 2. We get the first of three uh, moments where God gives in this, in this chapter. The first gave. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So God is the primary actor here. God has given Judah over to Babylon. It's not that Babylon's the primary actor. It's not that somehow they were greater than God. No, God allowed that. God gave them over to Babylon. He's still God even over in Babylon. Not just here in Israel, but over the whole world. And when this moment comes as a result of Israel's own faithlessness and own idolatry, we see that God is still interested in being at work in the lives of people, even those who are far from him. And friends, we need to take heart in that this morning. Sometimes we can think, I'm far from God, and he wants nothing to do with me. Wrong. You may be far from God, but God still cares deeply about you and is calling you to himself. Or perhaps you may think, so-and-so in my life would never come to Jesus. They would just, they're so far from God, they're just a lost cause. Wrong. God loves lost causes. He goes after them. He goes after them. He's still at work in the lives of his people. I think the other thing to say about this is there really is consequences to our sins, guys. And that's not a real popular thing to say that there is sin, that you can, that there is a moral, objective moral standard in society and in a postmodern, post-truth world that we live in, that, that I would be canceled for that, you know? Um, but we need to say it because it's true. There's an objective moral standard, and when we fall short of that, there's consequences. There's real good and real evil in the world, and I don't define that. God defines what's good and evil, not me. And so when we disobey God and when we go against his goodness, there's real consequences in our lives. And yet, this is the great hope from this chapter, doesn't mean God gives up on us, even if we've gone far from him. Think of a time in your life, perhaps, where God seemed far away, 
or perhaps things in your life felt a bit out of control. I was thinking about, in my own life, some of the mental health challenges that I've uh, encountered in my life, and I've, I've uh, especially in the last sort of seven years or so, have struggled with anxiety and panic attacks, uh, largely related to church <laughs> moments, leadership issues and decision-making and whatnot. And, and in those moments, it can feel there's just an overwhelming crushing kind of fear and worry that just is not grounded in reality but it's happening and there's physical sensations in the body that are just gripping you and it's really 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 hard and you can i can feel like a failure because of my own sin or feel like a failure uh, because of my own brokenness and yet i've come to learn that in my weakness when i feel i'm at my lowest God is able to be my strength. And God still cares for me even when I feel that he is distant. He's still present and faithful even when things seem lost. And that's a personal example. But perhaps think in a larger scope of, of history when things feel like God's distant. We might think perhaps of the situation in Ukraine and Russia. And what we might ask, what's going on there, where's God's faithfulness? Or we might think of situations here in Canada with soaring debt and all kinds of societal issues here at home. And, and sometimes it can feel like there's political or cultural forces that feel insurmountable. That society is heading in a direction and, and there's no way to turn that around. Things are going sideways. But Daniel suggests otherwise. Whether in your own life you feel that God is distant and you are low, or you look at the world around you and you think, man, it's rough out there. Things aren't getting better. Daniel reminds us that hostile empires come and go, and yet God is still on the throne. God is still faithful, even when in my own life things feel like a mess or in the world around me feels like a mess. God is still God even in Babylon. And it may feel hopeless, but not so. God still loves you. God is still at work. He's still with us. And so while God may have allowed this to happen to Judah, it doesn't mean he's not involved. Rather, he is still faithful and present and at work in their lives and calling people back to himself. And, and that's what we see happening in Daniel's life. So we meet Daniel and his friends, right? And they get renamed. <laughs> and they're recruited to serve in the royal palace. And while they're there, they're encouraged to give up their Jewish identity. That's part of the naming issue. And then also the education program and the food issue, the diet issue, right? They're called to live like Babylonians and then potentially violate the Jewish food laws. And Daniel says, uh, no, we're not going to do that. They refuse to obey. Now, they don't refuse outright the education program. They don't just sort of sit there and go, I'm not participating in this evil empire in any way. No, they go along with it, but they're unwilling to compromise their own values along the way, right? And so Daniel's willing to stand for God, and then we get the second gave in this passage in verse 9. Because of that, 
God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And we get a little hint here from the chief eunuch that King Nebuchadnezzar is not the nicest fellow in the world because Daniel says, can we adjust the diet program? And he goes, uh, the king will probably take me out for that. I don't think that's a good idea. Thanks. And we'll see Nebuchadnezzar's beastly tendencies uh, next week. But God gives Daniel favor and compassion as he seeks to live for him. And I think it's obvious <clears throat> that this is less about uh, how a largely vegan diet can help you study for a literature degree, right? That's not really the point of this. I mean, that might be helpful, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and drinking water is great. Yeah, obviously. Um, but the, the point is not really that. The point is that Daniel makes it a priority to follow God, even when the people around him know nothing about God. And Daniel's okay with the fact that his faith makes him stand out in the culture around him. Daniel recognizes that his faith will mean he doesn't follow his peers. And that his, uh, his faith in God will have implications in his public life. That he's going to look different to the people around him. And people will notice that he makes different decisions because he follows God. And as Christians today, that would be similar to us saying we believe Jesus is Lord and there's practical implications and ramifications in my life to that, that I don't participate in certain things that my culture might expect me to because Jesus is Lord of my life. And so Daniel chooses faithfulness to God and because of that, he's given favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave Judah over to Babylon. God gave favor to the overseer for Daniel's request. And then finally, God, in response to Daniel's faithfulness, gives learning and skill, verse 17, in all literature and wisdom. This is the third give. So now, because Daniel, Daniel is showing us about remaining faithful to God even when others around him have, have been pursuing idolatry, his own people, and now he's in a foreign nation which knows nothing about Yahweh, that God is still present to bless and come alongside and encourage even when we feel we may be alone trying to follow Jesus and no one around us gets it. And God blesses him in that. There's a confirmation here that God is still faithful and good as we seek to trust and follow him. You know what it reminds me of is, is the psalm uh, and the part of Psalm 33 or 23, the, the you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's in the presence of his enemies. And yet God is looking after him in the middle of that. And so God has given his people into that enemy nation. He's, he's dealing with justice for their sin and setting things to right because he cares for them. And we see that compassion in what he, him giving that favor to the guy that's overseeing Daniel and then an increase of learning and understanding for the job that Daniel has before him. You know, that's also worth noting is sometimes God puts us in situations that we really don't expect. Some, suddenly we're just kind of put in this thing. And God is faithful to give us what we need to do that well, even if we feel really out of our element. And so God gives learning and skill 
to Daniel in that place. In all of this, big political changes, a, a war, huge upsets, being moved from home, Daniel being challenged in his faith, we realize again, God is the primary actor in the story of human history. Not Judah, not Babylon, not you, not me. God is at work. God gave. God gives, and God still gives. And he gives us the ability to trust and to follow him whatever is going on in our life circumstances, whether it's an extreme moment in your life, similar to Daniel's perhaps, where your life feels uprooted and things are changing and, and you feel uncertain in the midst of that, God is still faithful and he's still good. And even when we may be feeling we live under empires that seem far from God, God is still faithful and good in the midst of that. God gives, and more than anything, we declare this morning that God gave his son, that our sins can be washed away and remembered no more against us, that we can be cleansed and forgiven. And God has given us the Holy Spirit so he can guide us and comfort us and teach us the way that we're to go. And he gives us eternal life through Jesus' death and resurrection, so that no matter what happens this side of things, we can rest in the assurance that he holds us and keeps us in this life and into the life to come. And he gives us the church so that we don't just walk around trying to follow Jesus on our own, but we enter into a family of God where we're invited into friendship and into wisdom from others. And uh, as, as we rub shoulders with people who are sometimes frustrating and different from us, we are challenged to grow more and more to be like Jesus. And so this morning, we remember that God gives, and God is faithful, even when things around us might seem difficult. And you may feel this morning that perhaps you are in captivity in some way, in some capacity, like Daniel. Well, know that he still gives today and that he's still faithful and you can still trust him no matter what you're facing. Amen? Let's pray to that end. Jesus, this morning we thank you that uh, Daniel sets an example for us that as we seek to follow you, often it's, it's challenging and difficult and, and we're needing to make decisions on the fly of what it means to be faithful to you around people who don't know anything about you. And Lord, I pray that in those moments that you would help us to bear witness to what you've done on the cross for us. That we live differently as believers, not because we're trying to judge people around us, but because we want to follow God's law. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so, Lord, today we pray for the various issues in the world that maybe come to mind when we think of foreign nations or perhaps things at home. 
perhaps things in our own lives, Lord, that feel like they're a source of captivity or bondage. That can be sin in our lives. It can be brokenness in a relationship that doesn't seem to mend. It could be cultural forces, Lord, things going on in our world and decisions that are made that seem so against who you are. It can be just violence and bloodshed like we hear about so often in the news. Lord, as we consider these things, may they not plunge us into despair, but cause us to point our hearts towards you, so that in the midst of what seems so dark and broken, we're reminded that you took on flesh and entered into our world, that you've taken the violence of sin and death upon yourself, and you've broken the power of the grave forever. And that's what we celebrate as we come to this table this morning. That in you, Lord, is our life and our hope. That when we leave this place, we go as uh, people who have been invited to the table to go and invite others to come and to meet you and to encounter your love, Jesus. And so this morning, as we consider our own lives, we pray that uh, you would do a work of drawing us out of bondage and captivity. And that when you place us, Lord, in situations that are difficult, whether at work or at school or at home, when we're surrounded by uh, not a nation, perhaps, Lord, but, but people around us who don't always understand us, just like Daniel and his friends in this case, that, Lord, you would help us to point them to you. And that you would use us, Lord, to make disciples. We thank you that you love us and you're faithful even when we sin and you call us to yourself. And as we come to this table, we celebrate that today. In your name, amen.